Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the AEW Revolution 2022 review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadley Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture, to review everything that just happened on the AEW Revolution 2022 pay per view. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review pay-per-views but also premium live events <laughs> uh, AW Dynamite AW Rampage Raw Smackdown NXT 2 but oh we have interviews roundtable discussions and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestling culture as I said though just joined by Michael Hamflet in the I mean I was going to say early hours of Monday morning it's basically breakfast time here in the UK, the age-old problem of AEW pay-per-views going long, and yet it didn't feel long. It was a thrilling, really enjoyable night, wasn't it? Yes. Um, I feel like I should offer a disclaimer right out the gate here. I don't feel like I'm going to be able to do this pay-per-view justice and not least because I've been up 24 hours at <laughs> this point. Maybe a little bit more than that. Um, thanks, Charlie and Josh, for that on a Sunday. Did you not know it was Revolution Day? No, I'm not going to be able to do this pay-per-view justice. Um because it was the best AEW pay-per-view ever, I think. Wow. Um, and I intentionally left off your humorous intonation on that last ever because I think I genuinely mean it. Um, uh, it was not without a couple of um, damp squibs or dull moments or all that kind of thing, but nothing was bad. Absolutely nothing was bad. The highs were as high as they've ever been in AEW, I think. Maybe only slightly below... The absolute apex of Revolution 2020 or All Out 2021. But as a card, for its length and for what was expected of that Orlando crowd and for what was expected of us as viewers, um, both discerning and otherwise, to look at the timeline this evening, it just felt like another special evening. And if they're going to continue to sell these pay-per-views as... To use WWE's phrasing, if they're going to continue to sell these events as premium then there is a certain standard that they've got to uphold. All Out 2021 was really special. There was immediate WrestleMania X7 comparisons levied against it. And then Full Gear just felt like... Full Gear was all right, but it didn't. It couldn't follow it. No. And nor did it. Um, I think time will be so kind to this show that it will be seen as the discerning wrestling fans All Out 2021. The, uh, the Canadian Stampede, 
to WrestleMania 17, as mm. it were, if we're going to carry over that comparison. It just felt like, even if the highs weren't quite as high, there was such a standard upheld throughout the whole evening, the whole long evening, that they still encourage AEW that they can do these mega these mega shows all the time and get away with it. Uh, let's start at the beginning uh, on the buy-in. I'll just run you through the results because if we talked about everything that happened on this show, we'll be here forever, and I'll also put a caveat in that. I may well forget something huge that happened. So if I do, feel free to jump in. Is it fair to say that we'll be getting granular on this show for days and weeks oh, yeah. ahead on various other podcasts? It's impossible to not. There was so much to, to take from this. This will serve as our recap. And then everything in the Dynamite preview, the Rampage yeah. preview, there's going to be so much follow-up on this show. You could feel it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so on the uh, on the buy-in, we had Legit Layla Hirsch defeating Chris Statlander. Uh, we also had Hook making QT Marshall like a right knobhead <laughs> uh, and choking him out and submitting him. And the House of Black uh, <laughs> defeating Death Triangle uh, with uh, Eric Redbeard via usual House of Black misty shenanigans sort of things. What do you make of those three matches? Um, the Hook QT Marshall pairing was as perfect as I think we all forecast and predicted. It was great watching Marshall getting thrown around um hirsch and uh, chris satlander was super hard hitting a, a little bit sloppy in places yep. but they rescued it when they needed to and they just beat this sh- out of each other and as for the uh trios match that sort of main evented the buy-in i have to eat my proverbial hat as it were because i'm not literally wearing one this morning yeah. even though i could do with pulling one over my eyes um I have made no secret of the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of the House of Black. Yeah. And for that matter, the Death Triangle. Now that we've got Penta, Oscuro, and the absolute state of Alex Abraham is that not much like better on this show. Halloween Wolfpack sting that he was on ah. this buy in. Um, but I have to ask you, Wilborn, was Malachi um, some sort of pale ale? Guinness hybrid because he looked like a black and tan okay. um, with his lovely um, tanfastic sunbed look. This match ruled. It doesn't matter how silly the characters they are. It doesn't matter how daft the law is. This was just a total ripper. All six of them completely went for it. The crowd were just built to an absolute frenzy. I would put this on a par. Me and Murray were watching this together while you and Phil were doing the stream. And we were saying this was probably on the level of the New Day and the Usos SummerSlam 2017 kickoff classic. This felt like an all-time pre-show match. And I would recommend anybody, and I could understand why you do it with AEW shows, maybe just skipping the buy-in and thinking, well, you know, we know for a fact that nothing gets left off the main card at this point. At very least, go back and treat yourself to that because there was just there was too much for us to recap at this hour. Mm. But it was a just non-stop bomb lobbing festival of danger and violence, and I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, nice sort of teasers of uh, what we could potentially get. I'd just have the Knights of the Black Throne go off and do tag stuff. Yes, please, and have Buddy Matthews and Pack just fight forever. Oh, that was great, man. Like, they they were doing everything that we used to love about them doing in WWE, where they were asked to wrestle like cruiserweights despite being jacked monsters that could drill you. And there was just loads and loads of this. So, like, on it, like so, so physical mm. and unexpectedly. So, like, obviously, we didn't, unexpectedly so, we didn't know the match existed as of Friday. So, amazing. Uh, and then we get onto the main card, opening up with Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho. Uh, and a match that opened up with Chris Jericho getting dropped right on his head. <laughs> yeah, just um, 
And now, quintessential Eddie Kingston pay-per-view match start. We had the spinning back fist to CM Punk, uh, and now he's hitting Jericho with what looked like one of Taz's finest overhead belly belly suplexes. Um, Nick Stuff from the very off, and it never really stopped after that. Yeah, they beat the crap out of each other. Um, Lion Salt from Jericho. <sighs> Amazingly, he still pulls it out, to be fair. Um, and the finish saw, uh, saw Kingston hit him with multiple spinning back fists, and you think, cool, pin him then, uh, after he'd kicked it, Kingston had kicked out code breakers and all the usual shenanigans. Um, and he went, no, I'm going to submit the little prick. And he did with some arm-breaking, neck-choking uh, submission. I have no idea what it was called. Um, and... And yet Chris Jericho still didn't shake his hand afterwards. Oh, man. And just a great conclusion, a spin on maybe what I think we all were predicting was going to happen, which was Jericho was going to offer the hand and Eddie Kingston would say, no, thank you. Um, a really nice touch and like the right choice as well. So often AW get this right where we think we've got it all figured out. You know, it's the old Piperism scene as he features in the lore of this card. Just when you think you have the answers, AW still just about managed to change the questions. Ugh, like rename Chris Jericho the big red machine and not because of his crazy politics, but because his chest looked like Kane's full gear. <laughs> um, just marked beat red puce his chest was with the chops in a way that I've never seen Chris Jericho go that way before these two hit so hard. Kingston had to work for this one. This was really nicely structured in that, um, you know, Kingston was like effectively survived the wars of Jericho, survived the best of Chris Jericho without having a... I don't know, almost succumbed to him at points. This, was, this wasn't this was a case of, oh, yeah, nice match, kid. Kingston was on his level and often beyond it, and it was that that seemingly alienated Jericho towards the end and, you know, pissed Jericho off to such an extent that he wasn't prepared to shake his hand. He pulled off the turnbuckle as well. He was embracing being a heel, being a villain when he realised he couldn't get it done. This, you would assume, will only feed further into Jericho going more down that path. And Kingston... Um, all important, really, getting the big win, getting the, like finally winning the big one on pay per view. There was a, a perfectly rational reason for Jericho to win this because you could argue that you could have Kingston never get a pay per view win until he gets a pay per view title shot. Mm. But it looks as if now with this, rankings are going to start favouring him, and we can finally get to the conversation of Eddie Kingston, legitimate title contender once again. Yeah, very exciting to see what happens next with with both of these. Guys, and that was followed by the uh, three-way tag team title match, Jurassic Express uh, versus Red Dragon versus the Young Bucks. I don't know where to start or to end with this <laughs> match. Um, you're, it's like the typical Young Bucks AW tag title match with a sprinkling of Red Dragon thrown in there. Lovely stuff. Yes, yeah. uh, just relentless pace. Um, Young Bucks structure, as you say, that kind of keeps everybody constantly moving. You're never really able to blink or you will miss something. All, you know, trite cliches aside. Um, the obvious story was always going to be, at what point do the Young Bucks and Red Dragon break down? And we got it. We got that sort of heel thing of... Um, it was it was made clear that Red Dragon had agreed for the Young Bucks to win the titles in order for them to get the shot. And then both Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish were like, oops, I forgot. Brilliant, that. And then refused to tag them in, refused to let them get back in the match. And that, therefore, sort of justified the Young Bucks not so much turning on them, but thinking, oh, well, if you're going to be like that, we're going to be like that. Boom, super kick. And then that creates the division between the heels, and that allows Jurassic Express to step back in. 
And what was ideal was that they still needed to fight as underdogs, even though they were the defending champions, which is the heart and sleeve baby faces compared to these other two sides. It worked quite nicely mm. within the, the narrative tone of the match as well. As we had hoped with the inclusion, the re-inclusion of the Young Bucks back in the title picture, a much-needed um, star title defence for Jurassic Express. They feel better yes. as champions now than they ever had done going in, and we kind of hope that would happen with the um, with the introduction of the Young Bucks into into their lives for a little while. You assume now they'll both <laughs> spin back off. Both challenges have been dispatched. And what was cool was that um, whilst you had the four heels, you know, coming apart at the seams, there were lots of points in this match in this match where they were working together, and yet. Just the two of them, Jurassic Express, got it done. They survived and then eventually thrived. It was a nice hero's journey for the two of them. Um, and I just thought Luchasaurus in particular uh, shone when he needed to. There was pressure spots where he was kind of required to wipe absolutely everybody out and then still be back there for the big power stuff. And he had, like, I wouldn't say he was the star of a match because everybody ruled in their own ways. Mm. But I think he had a lot of pressure on him to almost keep up with them. And, yeah. and did, brilliantly so. Yeah, there was bits I remember when he ran wild, kicked kicked everyone's heads off and then backflipped off the apron yeah. at one point, for example. Uh, the finish saw one of the young books, I can't remember which one, um, <laughs> getting uh, hit with the Jurassic Express. Nick, I think, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, the, the other, whoever the other one was, um, whoever the one wasn't getting pinned, the other one dived in but just couldn't make it yeah. in time uh, in a match filled with with last-second uh, either kickouts or breaking-ups of, of pinfalls. Jurassic Express hit the Jurassic Express on one of the young books. One, two, three, they retain the tag titles. Like you say, I thought that was a real, uh, really important feather in their cap winning mm. this. And uh, you can also see, like you say, where both uh, the young books and Red Dragon go from here. How do you follow that? With a bloody ladder match. That's how the face of the revolution ladder match. It was Keith Lee, Wardlow, Orange Cassidy, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, and Christian Cage, who, as we correctly predicted, uh, won the uh, qualifier on Rampage on Friday night, facing off to a future TNT championship match. Effectively, I'm not sure if this was revealed beforehand or then subsequently afterwards, the winner gets to face the winner of... um, Sammy Guevara, I don't know why he's got two belts, um, against <laughs> Scorpio Sky. It's, yes. it's title versus streak. It's basically a year, effectively, to the day since Scorpio Sky has been pinned in singles action. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there was shots of them up in the stand, and we never got the, I think, promised Paige Van Zandt contract signing that they mentioned on Rampage. Yeah, it's all a bit sketchy, this, isn't it? So the Scorpio Sky thing was something Tony Khan explained on Twitter as a negotiation with Dan Lambert as a result of, at long last, them kind of acknowledging, hang on, why is Scorpio Sky not getting a shot? He's got his shot. So that's that's tie that lease end up. And yeah, the Paige Van Zandt signing, maybe this was the presentation of the signing, the fact that she was in the, I mean, they call it like the, the director's box or whatever. But it Skybox. Looks, Skybox, but it sort of feels like the cheap seats, doesn't it? It's got that WCW wrestlers yes, thing about exactly it at WrestleMania, you know? So, but uh, theoretically, anyway, they were in the sort of Skybox, getting their, having their sort of like the table service and enjoying a nice night at Revolution while everybody else kills themselves for the cause. Mm. Um, so, Scorpio Sky will obviously be fresh as a daisy on Wednesday night and is in an advantageous position. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd be putting money on Scorpio. If, yeah, if it wasn't Scorpio Sky, no, it would be exactly the direction they're going to be going in. Yeah, Just judging what Sammy Guevara put himself through later on, I think well, Scorpio Sky's got this nailed on. Not a bad night for the men of the year by doing nothing, mm, pretty much. Indeed. And yet, Paige Van Zandt, it would appear her being there is class yeah, as her saying. Yeah. Um, shout out to Sidgwick. He correctly called the Orange Cassidy kick spot with the three big lads and their subsequent. What are you doing, mate? 
Although uh, him getting out of it, there were some mad spots with people. We've just got to keep mani- like we know they listen, so we've just got to keep manifesting this, and then they want to improve upon what we suggested. So Orange Cassidy to build on Cedric's prediction with that leap, with that jump on top of them, was like there. Really good, but how can we add to that now? And that bit where he had the ladder wrapped around his head and he was going in the usual spot, yeah, spinning yeah. around, hitting people with it. And then I think it was Lee and Hobbs, I may be mistaken, two of the big lads yeah. basically picked up the ladder and uh, he was still holding on to it and sort of got lifted off the floor. And then using his strength, lifted himself up onto the ladder to reach for the uh, stupid bloody brass ring, which is <laughs> rubbish. Um, it's got a yellow light on it, as mm-hmm. I realized. Um, until he uh, crotched himself on the ladder. Yeah. So that's that. Um, but a, a brilliant match. Uh, some mad, wild spots in there. Uh, Orange Cassidy getting yeeted out of the ring. Past, let's be honest, past yeah. uh, Christian Cajun and Ricky Starks. Um, Keith Lee and Powerhouse Hobbs getting knocked off the sort of staging near the commentary table through a set of tables uh, by Wardlow. And finally, after then as they're evil, <laughs> Danhausen showed up to curse Ricky Starks. <laughs> that curse definitely came true because um, <laughs> Wardlow caught him as he there was the, the the usual thing with like a ladder and then a ladder bridge onto the ropes. Mm-hmm. And Wardlow pow- went to powerbomb Ricky Starks. And I, I, maybe you saw this better than we did. We're obviously doing the live stream, so we don't catch everything. Did Ricky Starks catch his foot at the top of the ladder because it looked like he just landed right on the back of his neck on that ladder? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of. Um uh, I don't know what, like arc, I guess. No, down. Yeah, like there was a point where if, you know, if you didn't know that was going to be the spot, you would think that Starks was going to hit him with a Hurricane Rana or something, but obviously it was set up for a powerbomb. It just, I don't know whether there was the bounce off the ladder possibly or a foot getting caught, but I mean, all the same, it was effective enough because Starks looked dead as a result of the spot and it set up Wardlow in the perfect spot. This was really fun, this. It, it wasn't... Um, I wouldn't say it was in the pantheon of classic ladder matches, but then ladder matches have been bastardised to such a point that very few new ones feel like they enter that conversation anyway. It was, of course, leaps and bounds better than the Revolution one last year, and not just because of the live crowd. You know, the, the, the lack of the Cody injury sequence that wasn't needed last year obviously wasn't included this year. You just had all the men fighting all the time. Um, Christian was the glue, as I think we all hoped he would be, and you have to feel like he had a lot to do with the quite elegant construction of all of this. This was ultimately, um, like watching a sketch show, um, but that happens to tr- like attach to it a narrative thread. So there was a narrative through line. Whenever you weren't just having... you, The match probably started in the minds of all these wrestlers with all of these spots, but there is an art to how you craft them and where you put them and how it's obviously, you know, you need to lead to Wardlow winning, but it's how do you write so-and-so at the match at this point? How does it not feel like two wrestlers are running in to do their bit, to roll out so two more wrestlers can do their bit? And I thought... Graded on that curve, this was pretty successful. It never felt particularly fake. There were very few. Um, there were very few attempts to go for the belt that didn't feel like actual att- uh, the belt, the ring to go for the ring that weren't actual attempts to go for the ring. There wasn't a lot of the force slow climbing or a wrestler climbing a ladder in the corner of the ring or elsewhere. It's only Christian that I know. No, 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 not his fault necessarily, no. but. He's in the ring with a ladder already set up, and he's like, I think it's time to make a ladder bridge. Yeah. That was uh, the only bit that I got taken out of it. I did like the spot, by the way, where Wardlow, I think, was climbing the ladder, and another one of the big lads went to pull him down, and he went, right, uh, let me come down, and we'll sort this out on the floor. Yeah. Just brawled out there. there was a couple of times like that, like the, the, the three big lads being used really effectively as the ones that, well, we'll deal with each other, 
because the other squirts are no real trouble, but yeah. we acknowledge who the threats are in this. As well, I, it's not, you know, it's a, it's not a little thing because it's a huge visual, but I love that they think of this sort of stuff as well. Far more creative than just having Wardler bump into them. Running through that curtain on the entrance rail. So, like, to describe it for anybody who hasn't quite seen, you've got the entrance tunnel itself and then you've got the announce table. So, Hobbs and Keith Lee went through the stage off where the commentators are. But Wardlow, obviously, if you think about it, there's not a lot of space on that AEW stage. Mm-hmm. So, Wardlow goes round the back of the entrance tunnel, appears through this curtain, almost as if from nowhere, to truck the ladder that sends them both flying um and i just thought it looked really nice and slightly different than your average again they were using the stage they've got there uh the spot where i wish i could remember who it was powerhouse hobbs i think it must have been by process of elimination orange cassidy but orange cassidy i think is trapped in the corner as a result of getting trucked into there by hobbs who then trucks a ladder into him and traps Mm. him in there and there's also keith lee sort of squashing the corner with him again just an awesome arrangement of spots as a way to try and take out as many people as possible all at the same time the dive where cassidy missed everyone was like the yeet was was pretty (laughs) frightening but it looked cool it all it all looked pretty cool can't tell you how aroused i got when they pulled that ladder apart as well yeah, that was great. Oh, my days. A dummy ladder on the stage that the two big, strong lads could just rip to pieces. Oh. Great stuff. Yes, please. Uh, and that was not the end of Wardlow's night. More on him in a little mm. while. Uh, I'm going to mention this now because I may forget to mention it later, and I can't exactly remember. It's all merging together in my head because it's nearly 7 a.m. here in the UK. <laughs> um, Swerve. Yeah. Uh, the announcement of Swerve signing officially for AW. Something we sort of anticipated coming. But I appreciated particularly the call and response of mm. Who's House, Swerve's House from the crowd, which just showcases how dumb WWE were to let, especially someone like him, go. Yeah, he felt like a star straight away. Um, a call and response will do that for you, but it's just his poise and his charisma it was obvious for anybody that either hadn't seen him before WWE or simply didn't get enough of that exhibited based on how... Wrestlers have their wings clipped in WWE. We loved Swerve on NXT, but then realistically at that point, he was even watching NXT Mm. to see his best bits. Cannot wait to see how he gets going. Mm. Really, really excited. Um, In terms of matches, what came next was the TBS Championship match, Jade Cargill versus Take On D. Uh, A little bit of kissy-kissy in here (laughs) uh, to start the match off and later on. And a spirited fight from Take On D. And a spirited underdog fight I suppose from Jay Cargill who had to fight two people yeah it was pretty cool that the theoretical disadvantage that Jay Cargill was under was turned into a babyface comeback spot because she just decked Anna Jay on the outside relatively unprovoked what a bomb that was for Anna Jay into the side oh vicious man Anna Jay hadn't done anything other than cheerlead for take on so the the heel babyface alignments are in check because Jay Cargill thought no, you can have some of this as well. And obviously just sent a flying at that table and that justified. Well, it didn't justify, but you know what I mean? The Anna J chair shot was kind of um, reasoned as a result. I thought this really over-delivered, you know, really over-delivered. It was far from perfect, um, but a lot of the stuff hit really, really hard. Um, Jade Cargill in particular, I just thought timed everything uh, as best as she could. It's like, she continues to have these matches. Uh, and I, Anna J, ironically, was one of the other ones where you'd be lying if you said... That the like f- the the subtitle was flawless execution. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know she's got that little bit of um, inexperience in her, but you know she is green because green is money. Well born, and there was also loads of money on the table with this Jade Cargill run. Um, she's still twenty nine and oh. 29 oh, and in the match selling the dominance of that streak as well. You are starting to feel 
the exasperation of the wrestlers that can push her but can't beat her. It's yet again another like this run has been really well timed out. We saw we saw Conti get a little bit, but not enough mm. of Jade Cargill, and I love that they're playing with that so effectively at the moment. There was I wouldn't say um, the title change was ever in doubt, but they got at least one. Um, you know, they got at least one gasp out, yeah. of the, out of the crowd to think that it might. And that's all you really should be getting out of Jade Cargill. She's supposed to be monstering these women. And the skill level of her challenges is rising to the point where it's becoming a little bit harder. Um, Conti's got that fantastic fire as well. Um, she's she's perfect in this role um, against every heel champion, really. They pretty much did this, that the, the exact same sort of spirited attempt against Britt Baker. Mm. And you can apply that to different types of heels so that it's it's cool that they've used her off the back of the Baker match. Really, really enjoyed this. Um, again, I'm not sure how many people would have given too much of a toss, but it did well to um, to stand up for itself on a, a loaded card like this. Yeah, and a picture-perfect frog splash as well from Jay Cardin. Oh, that ruled. Like the muscle pose before it. Um Really great frog splash. The fact that she was decked out in green only helps as well. Jade from Mortal Kombat, I believe, was the ah. one. You can read on this and more, and I'm going to wax lyrical on a few more in a minute. But um, you can read this and more on Hidden Meanings Behind AW Revolution 2022 attires coming soon to whatculture.com forward slash WB if I don't pass out on my desk after we finish recording <laughs> this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Right, let's talk about the conclusion to the greatest feud in AEW history. Go on then. Fight me. <laughs> CM Punk versus MJF, the dog collar match. If Dave Meltzer doesn't give him five stars now, I'm going to go to Dave Meltzer's house and put some dog poop in a paper bag on his do- doorstep and light on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll buy you plane tickets um, as long as you let me come with you because I don't think he's going to go five, but uh, I would. And I'm probably a bit too generous and I'm still a bit too high on the match itself. But yeah, two two fivers for me. Um, I think he'll go four and three quarters on this one, it's and I think he went four and a quarter on the first one. But everyone's entitled to their own ratings, as we are to ours, and I agree with you. I think this is the best AW story ever. I think they've had two, for my mind, perfect matches that have um, been the physical elements of the story, along with perfect segments, along with perfect promos, along with perfect moments, perfect callbacks, perfect details. Um, and I mean, that's just the entrances yeah. of this match, isn't it? You've got, uh, let's do Punk first. Okay. Because I think there's a little a little MJF one that I think is going to get overlooked. So, uh, I mean, 
my word, there were tears from some corners of the internet as there were for people in the building. Um, it's been a ring of honour week, so the timing of all of this feels particularly perfect. But CM Punk coming out in those beautiful white baggy shorts. Now, you know, you don't need me to tell you that all wrestlers are course awesome in white. There's, mm-hmm. there's fantastic Twitter threads for that by, the good, by the good people at BT Sport. Yeah. Sure. But um, the white shorts that um, were the ones he wore for the um, the dog collar match against Raven in Ring of Honor in 2003. You might have seen the images doing rounds in the weeks leading up to it. Punk's an excellent bleeder, as we have, oh, re- as we have yes. relearned this week. Covered in blood um, in these white shorts in this dog collar match against Raven. Um, he's got the black... Jacket, he's got the three X's on, he's got the X's on the uh, the white wrist tape again. It's the perfect 2003 Ring of Honor straight edge CM Punk. There is an extra little detail of the skull and crossbones on the white tracking of his uh, jacket, now replaced by a little silhouette of Larry. Bless him. Mm-hmm. Um, the dog that he loves rather than the dog he's going to have to beat in MJF in this <laughs> dog collar match. Um, coming out to his AFI theme, which again, I don't know how well that resonated in the building um, until he was actually on the stage and then the sheer power of that theme just overwhelmed everybody and everything and punk himself i think he looked emotional in the entrance and then he later wept in the press conference so i think it's been a very emotional day for him um it was it was beautiful this like every throwback in this storyline it hasn't been just for the sake of a throwback Mm. and i want to talk a little bit more about things not happening just for the sake of them um mjf's entrance which will be the more overlooked of the two in you know, regards to what we saw with CM Punk. Started not with his music, but with CM Punk's cult of personality that then cut and then went into MJF's. Was that not the fantasy booking of 50% of people's belief yep. of how MJF, how yeah. CM Punk would come in to AEW and then they just did it. They just gave you the nicest possible outcome and MJF's finally done it as a troll move at the best possible time to troll the audience. What people wanted but didn't need back in July 2021, they got... In February 2022, with the last possible opportunity yeah. to do it, because this is it. MJF and CM Punk's business is well and truly concluded, and they've given you it. MJF. And let's not forget, MJF came in too, no, so it's con- this was just a consolation. If of course, it was Punk goes con- on to win. consolation prize for PG Punk, of course, can't forget that. <laughs> um, can't argue with stats and numbers and facts. MJF come out in green, uh, lovely shimmering green number. It wasn't the uh, tartan that we might have thought. It wasn't the royal blue of Roddy Piper or indeed Greg Valentine from mm. the, the dog collar match. Um, but, Wilborn and anybody else listening, I would invite you to go back and look at the first confrontation between CM Punk and MJF in their AEW chapter. You will find MJF in a gorgeous crushed uh, velour uh, green suit. Why might that be, you're asking? Well, because go and look at the picture that became so integral to this story of child MJF with CM Punk. He's wearing a green top. This was the last little detail that they have added that, as we've said all along, is never just for the sake of it. What do these entrances back-to-back mean? What happened yet again? MJF believed he was going to get the last word once and for all with these entrances, and CM Punk trumped him with something that he couldn't have possibly expected. MJF goes in thinking, well, I'm going to take his cult of personality pop off him. That's going to ruin his uh, aura. That's going to get in his head before the match. Punk takes it off him one last time because it was time for MJF to eat platefuls and platefuls of shit and he did and it was wonderful and I'm sorry for giving you extra work at this hour <laughs> you don't deserve that um, yeah a sensational match uh, offering a handshake after he'd first oh, was handed to him in the first <laughs> moments of this match uh, Punk busted wide open yes please <laughs> my god that man can bleed 
had to change the ring canvas, I think, twice during this show. Yeah. Unsurprisingly. They uh, luxuriated in the aerial shots with good reason, didn't they? Just the, the well, the canvas looked like... Ironically looked like a UFC canvas. Well, it looked a little bit like the NXT 2.0 look. <laughs> for something that couldn't be further away from it. Just what a remarkable set of visuals that these two concocted. We talked, didn't we, before about how um, the trick that the two of them had somehow seemed to play beforehand was making the dog collar match feel more violent than... More, theoretically more violent matches. Lights out. Uh, Texas Deathmatch, all of this sort of stuff. Exploding barbed wire deathmatch. Exploding barbed wire deathmatch was not as violent as two men chained to each other. With, by the way, a very rugged-looking leather strap rather than uh, Punk's sexy collar. That really yeah, was retired. Better. Really was retired on night one, that one, wasn't it? Yep. Uh, and then uh, we got, I mean, MJF trying to get out of the ring and just getting choked out and learning very quickly that there's no escape in no. a dog collar match. Um, things escalate. Punk gets whipped with the chain, and they just instant welts just start coming up on them. Um, as I said, Punk gets busted open, bleeds all over the place. MJF, he gets busted open as well. And then they add tax into the mix, just in case there wasn't enough. And me and Phil were just bouncing off the studio walls at how well that tax spot was teased as mm. well. The tease, um, because obviously they've given you the Pepsi plunge, you then start to imagine the they're going to double down on this and they're going to go extra and give you the Pepsi plunge into thumbtacks, which just absolutely horrifying. And yeah, as you say, Punk suffered it. We got a few slow zooms in on his arse and lower back, very much akin to WB.com's video department when it was submitted for court cases. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't the most impactful tax spot. And you think, oh, they're not under-delivered on something because it's always paying for people fall on tax, but that's not been the most crucial part of the match. Why? Because they were saving it, because it was going to matter most towards the end, and obviously it did when MJF hit them that one last time. I just couldn't have loved this anymore. If I, like, There was a point where they ran through a... So a few weeks ago, uh, the Stamflits will forgive me, I tweeted the gif of... Um, Bret Hart and Roddy Piper's WrestleMania 8 finish, where um, it's, it's the Hart-Piper finish, but a lot of people think of it as the Hart-Austin finish. It's, it's a Bret Hart staple, where he's in a sleeper and he walks up the post and he flips back over and he like Piper's trapped in the hold and that's how he lost the Intercontinental title. There'd been mentions of Bret in Calgary and Piper in Portland, and I thought, that's a finish you can do while the dog collar's wrapped around your neck. There's your finish. They did. Um, CM Punk went through the Bret Hart gears, so he did, I think it was the side rush and leg sweep, and he was trying to set him up for now. There's just lots of little Bret spots, and then they built up to that pinfall sequence, and MJF kicked out at two. So that was even a little, just a chapter of the match where Punk's like, right, that was my Bret Hart arsenal. I'm going to have to try something else now. I'm going to have to get more violent. I'm going to have to get more dangerous and more technical-minded, the whole thing. Like, I can't beat him by being my own version of the excellence of execution. What else have I got? And that was kind of the theme of this, just a constant escalation of one man not being able to beat the other man like, give me your best, give me your best, give me your vo more violent. Mm. Like, such perfectly measured escalation. And it had to be because the finish, which we will get to, had to be the most impactful moment. The um, the weapon of choice had to be more impactful than everything else mm -hmm. each man had done to one another at this point. And it's not just the weapon, it's about who is given the weapon, who is the one putting the power in either MJF or CM Punk's hand and just... Like an all-time a great uh, AEW moment to pay off an all-time a great AEW match in the all-time a great AEW storyline because all along, I'd, as we've said, the storyline existed not just for itself, 
for another storyline. Yeah. Wrestling's wrestling. It's better than. It's not just better than the thing you like. It's better than everything when it's yeah. this good. It was just sensational. Um, it, Punk broke MJF's hand. Basically, <sighs> Punk smashed his knee into the steps whilst it was wrapped in a chain, so he, he could barely walk at the one s- point. Punk's selling was amazing as well of that knee. And uh, and then uh, Wardlow came down and ruined the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I, I can't talk about it. You talk about it. So Wardlow arrives on the scene at the um, behest of um, MJF. He leans over the ropes. His employer, sorry. His, his employer screams for Wardlow. And obviously we know from Wardlow's involvement in the CM Punk match uh, from Dynamite on February the 2nd that he was there with Dynamite ring, Dynamite Diamond Ring in hand. Um, he can't find it well, but innocent. We've all been there. You've been at a wedding. When you're asked to hold something for somebody and you've got your suit on, you've got your waistcoat on, you've got your back pockets, you've got your side pockets, you've got your waistcoat pockets. So many pockets. And just in the heat of the moment, there's a crowd there. Wardlow's only just got out of the shower. He's put his suit on. Understandable. He was probably keeping it safe when he went out to his match. Yeah. And he's gone rooting around his pockets. And he, oh, bloody hell, where is it? And then, like, it just took that split second too long. And Punk, Punk was able to take advantage. Wardlow doing what was asked of him, going down the line here, doing what was asked of him, simply did what was asked of him after the fact. He put the ring on the apron when he eventually came to it. You've been a best man before. No, I'm going to be this summer. I've been a best man before, and it's a pretty nervy position, being the one to hold the ring. That's a lot of pressure. I empathise with the war dog. Like, that was what my, like the groom I was the best man for, called me the other day, he said, hey, war dog, can you hold my ring? And like, I, I, I remember that feeling, I was like, oh, got to make sure it's in this pocket. When the, when the official asks mm-hmm. for it, then you need to be on hand. And then, obviously, when I gave it to the groom, he punched the official square in the face because <laughs> that's how all weddings go. No, this was, I mean, this wonderful moment. I'm doing so much talking. Why bother? Because it so wonderfully spoke for itself, didn't it? Cheated. Foreign object. A foreign object. That's not his to <laughs> it, use. It wasn't the dog not collar. Not yours to use. <laughs> you invoking the uh, Jeff Jarrett, a guitar is not a household item Indeed. from the good housekeeping match. Yeah, yeah. He, cl- he clocks uh, MJF with it, wins the match. Again, just a consolation, but um, nice for him to get that. And I'm just so excited to see how this is followed up on Dynamite. Can I repeat your take? I've said about 50 times during this view, please, because I, I, I love this detail so much. Night one, conversation one. You only win because of Wardlow and that Dynamite diamond ring. Yep. Finn, as they say at the end of pretentious films. Indeed. Finn. Uh, and uh, what on earth could follow that? I don't know, check the women out there. Because that's what they do every bloody time. Jesus if I have Christ. one issue with this pay-per-view... Stop this. Stop this bad habit, AEW. Stop it. It is... I mean, look at the sandwich that they were putting. Moxley and Danielson following yeah. it. Um, and granted, me and Phil were like, why don't you put the AHFO out there? Uh, and then realise why that would be. We'll get to that in a second. But... Um, yeah, I think that, you know, it was an enjoyable match, this uh, AW Women's World Championship. A surprising result for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes more sense, obviously, as we've sort of subsequently seen where they're heading after this. Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. We know what they're capable of. Uh, and there was flashes of it in there. But yet again, it's it, it struck me as very lazy. And yeah, they're not helping the argument that they don't really value or prioritize, let's say, the women's division by what they did here. Yeah, it's... Really tough, man. Like, a crowd they knew were going to be knackered, um, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, for a match where you'd been led to believe, at least. Lovely new title, though. Oh, great belt. Really, really great belt. Um, the second change to that belt, I think. Yeah. From making it, like, obviously when it was too small to begin with. Um, but, yeah, overdue change of that belt. And the thing is, right, I'm, I'm really conflicted on this. 
And this would be, again, this is probably why I feel like this is probably AEW's best pay-per-view ever. Because when you're shown the roadmap for Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker at this point, it feels like a better story than the one that got us to Revolution in the first place. So for those that don't know or skipped or were just fallen asleep in the middle of the pay-per-view, by virtue of Leila Hirsch's victory on the buy-in, she will fight Thunder Rosa, who of course has now kind of fallen down the pecking order a little bit as a result of the loss to Britt Baker. The two of them will have a contenders match, and the winner of that will face off against Britt Baker at uh, St. Patrick's Day Slam, which will take place in San Antonio. The two obvious flags here are that San Antonio Antonio is the home of uh, Thunder Rosa, and St. Patrick's Day Slam would mark a year Mm -hmm. since the classic between Rosa and Baker. And this is where I'm conflicted. I didn't think the match was very good. Certainly not their best work, that goes without saying, mm-hmm. and not what you imagine they can maybe do again, given the chance in maybe another Dynamite main event. It feels like that'll be, that'll go on last. It'll be maybe a steel cage to keep out, you know, Britt yep. Baker's yeah, interference yeah. because that was such a big part of this match again that, you know, you're dealing with a three-on-one if you're fighting Britt Baker. Was this, in fact, exactly what it should have been? I say that because the build, we all said, oh, this doesn't feel like it's quite right for Thunder Rosa's title win. Mm. And it turns out it wasn't. And they weren't thinking of Thunder Rosa's title win. And it was never destined to be Thunder Rosa's title win. If you look and put down the card at the results that you could, the matches you could do and the results you could offer after what you know is going to be your middle of the night epic, this is probably the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Optics aren't great. The fact that they've got history... There's a lot of history to support. They've kind of like hung the women out to dry like this multiple times. So it's really less than ideal. But bigger picture, they've preserved something for television without a major... Like Baker's not damaged by this. Rose is not damaged by it. It just wasn't the strongest thing on a night. So I, I think I'm arguing that um, there was no obvious sacrifice made for the sake of a pretty cool TV main event. Yeah, I think in the immediate aftermath, me and Phil were like, Right, so who's left? For yeah, Baker? that was it. Definitely when Rosa lost, myself and Murray both thought, well, like, who's going to beat her then? And then they kind of they answered that question eventually, didn't they? I did like the bit with uh, Thunder Rosa trying to put the lockjaw on Britt Baker and her just biting her hand as well. Yeah, really great. Like, that's exactly what she should do to counter that. But yeah, it just feels, it just strikes me as quite lazy in terms of the structure of the match of just like, just go to another interference mm. finish. Where's Mercedes Martinez? She knows this is going to happen. Yeah, true. Yeah. Thunder Rosa's got friends. Um, They could have helped. They could have chased off. But yeah. It feels like it's going towards a steel cage, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And like I said, that was the filling in a sandwich uh, made uh, with two pieces of bread Mm. covered in mud, basically. Uh, (laughs) Mud blood, even. Uh, John Moxley, Brian Danielson came next. And in a very different way, they they got colour. And they beat the piss out of each other. Oh, this is great, man. This was so great. Um... I think there will be takes in the coming days. There will be people that watch this, or sorry, there will be people that don't watch this again that maybe should, because I understand completely the kind of sense of exhaustion off Punk MJF that it felt like it was going to take a long time to pull yourself out from. Um, to that end, Moxley and Danielson started relatively slow. I think they were also mindful of what they just witnessed with Rosa and Baker, and they were thinking, right, we've got to come off the back of this and bring the fans in slowly. And that's exactly what they did. If you go back and watch this, there is some really lovely, um, like intricate limb work before they both grow frustrated with each other and just start hitting really, really hard. The point where they roll out to the floor and Moxley returns, looking like Night of the Living Dead or yeah. something. Uh, I think there's like three 
fade out camera cuts of the arena and the capacity crowd and the commentators resetting everything. And that is the, like, that's the mark of the turning point in the match where you've thought, right, both men have tried the hardest to win a wrestling match and now they're just going to win a scrap. And it just felt wonderful to see um, them time out that escalation really nicely to the point where what had started has this, again, this like this exchange of holds, this exchange of philosophies and ideas becomes two men holding each other's hands seated in a competition of who can boot each other in the head <laughs> the hardest. What a visual that was. Reduced effectively to man babies, just with very, very violent strikes, bloodied head, and the rubber soles of each other's boots careering into one another's chins. It, that that visual will stick with me for a long time. As will Moxley wrenching back on that choke. Brian obviously being able to survive it, but just it like so so snug yeah, around the neck. It was tight that bulldog choke. John Cena's tapped out every wrestler in the goddamn world with the STFU, the what the STF. Yeah, yeah. And he's never once had it in as tight as Moxley had it in on Danielson. And he couldn't even get the win because these just these men are harder than everybody. And also a new new favorite kink of mine. Go on. Uh, um, someone getting choked out. Whilst they've been busted open, so the blood gets squeezed out of the head a little bit more. Yeah, that's great as well, isn't it? It's like ringing the juice out of a fruit. Do you know what that gives me? What does it give you, Will? It gives me a... There's always time. Daft clock in the morning, there's always time for the soundboard. (laughs) Um, And, like, I won't spoil the the big announcement and that you could give us the post-match, but there was something really quite, I don't know, right about the post-match. You could feel when the match was over... They're gonna keep fighting. It, it well, they did. That's why. Yeah, like there was no, it, there was no sort of forced sense of oh god, they're carrying this on. It felt organic. It was like yes, a bell has rung. Yes, a pinfall has been registered. But even the pinfall was so wonderfully arrived at that it felt almost. Um, Moxley got the win, fair and square. But the way he arrived at that almost kind of felt a little bit. Two out of nowhere. I can hear Brian Danielson saying the only reason you were able to even slip out of this was because you, you were covered in your own blood. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great shout. And Moxley to be like the type of person that'd be like, you think you think I was a slip out? You think you slipped on a banana skin, did you? Well, I'll fight you again then. I'll fight you right here, right now. Ring the bell. We'll have match number two. But they couldn't get that far, could they, Wilborn? No, because uh, all the security came out to separate them. But who cares about them when bloody William Regal's here? William Regal. Not only does William Regal show up and uh, bollock both of them, basically, he gets in Moxley's face, gets Moxley's blood all over his face, Mm -hmm. and he slaps the taste out of both men's mouths to to get their attention and says, right, shake your bloody brother's brother's hand. You two are going to settle this now. (laughs) You talk about kinks. They look like they like that. Slap me as hard as you can. Daddy. Daddy. Daddy Regal. Daddy William. Um, the thing about these two fellas is they learned the trade, they learned the craft before they came in and did this. Like, uh, you want to be good. Lead with your left foot first. <laughs> put, put your left artery forward. <laughs> um, yeah. Bizarre. Brilliant. Huge pop for William Regal. Um, William Regal, because he filed the trademarks for those names and got them. I think, he, I think he's got ah. a trademark for Lord Stephen Regal and William Regal, so he was he was covered both ways, but William Regal, more familiar. The William Regal is all elite graphic, is already out there, yeah. so that's all on the table. Don't know what role he's going to occupy. Um, I don't know, maybe he's going to wrestle. Seeing him getting yeah. head-to-head, he wasn't, he wasn't shying away from the pair of them. Um, does he? He got them to shake hands. Do we now get the teased team and yeah. the mixed dojo? Now, in ter- rather than it being Danielson and Moxley, led by Regal. 
Do we get Regal's little snake pit of shooters with Moxley and uh, Danielson as the head coaches and tag team representatives of the group? And Cesaro. Yeah, why not? Yeah, July the hell not. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, another thing to add to the long old list of stuff to preview on the Dynamite preview oh, this man, week, yeah. as well as getting serious thoughts on this whole thing. Um, then we got to settle everyone down before uh, the main event. Uh, Six-man tornado tag team match. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The AHFO, uh, Andrade, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy against Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Sting. Um Darby Allen crashed a car into a caravan and Sting had a flamethrower before the <laughs> that, that was I mean, that was rubbish. That was absolutely terrible. If um, if we have been dreading, and dreading's unfair, but if there have been elements of um, Jeff Hardy's untethered creativity that I'm slightly nervous about when he arrives in AEW, um, I don't know why I'm rubbing him, because Darby Allen's just as bad and he's been here much longer. Mm. Like, I've suffered it long enough. So this was just madness. Uh, I really enjoyed it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, uh, Jose, the assistant, getting popped on a chair and had a bin over his head, and Darby Allen just lawn darted himself into it. Um, just mad brawling around ringside, people getting twatted with everything, getting chucked into railings and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and then, well, let's just skip to the the really good bit. Um, they They brawl all over the place, and we get on the ramp. Isaiah Cassidy, with the help of Mark Quinn, who got, came down and got involved, seemingly setting up to put Sammy Guevara uh, through a table when he recovers. And then subsequently, we get Sammy Guevara hitting a Spanish fly off the top of the entrance bit through a table. Isaiah Cassidy, as far as I was aware, didn't move following that. We do <laughs> hope he's all right. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, then you think, right, what's going to happen now? Um and Darby Allen and Sting are brawling with Andrade and uh, Matt Hardy. And you think, well, uh, you know, Sting, you, you're 62. You, you can't be taking these sorts of bumps. And he thinks, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah, the Butcher and the Blade got involved, set up a big old pile of tables. Um, and subsequently, Sting splashed... Andrade looked like a bloody controlled explosion through about oh, 20 man. tables. Um, he got and got up, which is the main thing. I say it's 62. Uh, the only real downside was the sort of botched finish here with uh, with Darby Allen and Matt Hardy were fighting in the ring. It looked like Matt Hardy was going to give him a twist of fate with a chair around his neck. And Darby Allen came out of it and then just sort of ran at him with the chair, dropped him. And uh, Matt Hardy was still sort of writhing around on the floor as Darby went for the coffin drop. So he sort of missed him, let's be honest. Mm. Yeah, just insane plunder from a company that does insane plunder a lot. So it takes something a little bit extra special for me to not feel desensitized to it. And that extra special thing is Sting. Um, What can I say? Like, I'll be watching you, Sting, but I will have to call the police (laughs) if you continue to go on like this. You're 62, mate. Chill your tits. Mm. Like, that table bump was absolutely incredible. They, me and Murray theorized that maybe, because of all the shenanigans around Jeff Hardy's impending arrival, the reason they were heading towards a balcony with a table was to mirror the famous Jeff Hardy yes. balcony one from Madison Square Garden. Um, and you think, well, you, when you piece that together in your head, you're like, right, well, fair enough, because the Butcher and the Blade have created a numerical disadvantage, and they've set all the toys out, and then Hardy goes somewhere to arrest in that numerical disadvantage, and it's not cheating on the 
part of the baby faces because all he's doing is offsetting these guys and then it's, you know, let's get the, the six back to the ring yeah. and you can set up a four. It's not Jeff Hardy, is it? It's Sting. <laughs> of all the people from this match to do that, it's Sting. And I love, there's a, there's a lot to that because, you know, the Sammy Guevara, uh, as I Cassidy thing was just crazy as well. Sammy Guevara's not, like, afraid to go way beyond the pale in these matches. You know, we know what, like, Darby Allen actively enjoys. We know what Matt Hardy's built much of his career on. So all of them had this sort of thing in them. But I just sense, as I have done when they fought Men of the Year and when they did in that cinematic thing at last year's Revolution, I just got that sense that Sting, like, knows that there will be less of an expectation on him. So instead wants to raise that bar. Yes. I think so. What, I, I know that you've put this in for Sammy and I know that you've put this in for Darby and that's even quite big for Matt. Like, where's my big thing? It's for me. It is for me. He's like, where's my big thing? Well, we, just, we just wanted you to do a couple of Stinger Splashes and Scorpion. The fans love you. Yeah. Like, you're, you're our legacy player. And you're 62. Like, no, I'll, I'll have what they're having. Like, and that's, I'm using that when Harry Matt Sally quote because I, we're all just sitting there having an orgasm watching it go down. Unbelievable. Oh! <laughs> Absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, and not at all the piss break that no. like, that you would have assumed when it was saved till so late in the day. Like, oh, get on with it. Let's get, let's get the main event. Yeah. You know, it's getting late here. No, loved all that. And then, yeah, then we got the main event, the World Championship match. Uh, Adam versus Adam Crowder, a lot of fun with that. Mm-hmm. Hangman Page versus uh, Master Chief himself, Adam Cole. Um, and uh, it was uh, one of those things where I think we went in, the result wasn't really that much in doubt. No. Uh, and yet they put together a great uh, and a, and a match after, a, a re- like I say, a long pay-per-view, typical sort of AEW uh, I'm a bit exhausted, mm. especially the British audience, for example. In the crowd, and uh, through no fault of their own, probably would have been just yeah shagged out as well. Yeah, flagging a bit. And yet, in like what 25 minutes, they really, really pulled out a great, great main event for the world title. I thought I really enjoyed this. Um, Murray didn't, so already I know this to be divisive. Whether okay. or not, whether or not our takes extend to the wider wrestling fan base or. It's just going to be universal praise or, you know, universal dislike. I don't know, but I really enjoyed this. There was the worry going in of how much this was going to be an Adam Cole main event versus an Adam Page main event. By that, I think... get a a WWE shock face. A little bit of that. A little bit of it. But I don't think they over-egged it at all. Again, maybe that's just because I've got a lot more patience for sports entertainment, but I honestly didn't think it was too bad. There was a couple of really great details I appreciated that, to me, distinguished this as well. We talked a lot in preview in this match, um, and we talk a lot about this with Adam Cole in general, but one of his amazing skills as a heel is how good he is as a counter-wrestler. So he does have flair, and he does like the spectacular, but it's when it doesn't get out of control, as it did a couple of times in NXT, it's as much about cutting off, using what he's got to cut off rather than necessarily to show off. The Panama Sunrise is perhaps the exception to that rule, but everything else um, is designed to stop the babyface in question doing what they want to do so he can finish the job. There is no better example than the upside-down superkick, is there? He did it against Ricochet, he did it against Hangman Page here. It's a stunning bit of visual creativity that actually tells quite an important story, which is that Adam Cole can not just avoid your best shot, but ruin it. You know, he can destroy it. He's, he's scouted you, he's figured you out, and he's worked out the size and the timing and the pacing of 
an attack that seems impossible until it is done. And that's what puts him in the position where he can do the Panama Sunrise, which in turn puts him in the position that he can be shocked when somebody kicks out. You know, there's a thread of logic tying it all together. And Excalibur did a great job in particular. He, um, there was a point where Cole... It, this was a little bit NXT. So he hits the Panama Sunrise on the floor. He wheels him back in. He gets the Panama Sunrise in the ring. And then he hits the... Uh, lowers the boom. Lowers the boom. I was going to say the last shot. Lowers the boom. Only gets a two, and then Excalibur notes that he'd um, not pulled his knee pad up as usual. So it was in his haste to win, he'd not actually done it properly. He'd not performed that killer blow as he should have done, which is why it then built to, I think he tries to do it later on, then Hangman Page was the one eventually to pull the knee pad down and be like, this is how it's done, because I have I can scout too, you know? Mm. More building Hangman Page as this kind of complete world champion. He's got aerial in him. You know, he can do the German style. He can do the cowboy style. Greatly. Greatly, every style. Um, and he's just kind of performing now as the all-rounder that an AEW world champion needs to be. You've mm. got to find the ways to win against the various buffet of opponents in this company. And he did it with Cole. The Red Dragon stuff was, like, really nice, I thought, because they, they presented this panicked, scatty atmosphere at ringside and the Dark Order get to... You know, just get a moment, ultimately. Like, they're there just to run interference, but it's nice that, yet again, we're reminded that Hangman Page made all these friends that unequivocally have his back in the way that the Young Bucks never would, in the way that the Elite <laughs> gradually never did. The Dark Order relationship is a different one, and it was just nice to see all that play out, even if it was only for, you know, the briefest of chapters in what was otherwise. Like, quite a quite a strong main event. But one complaint... Those kicks were strong. Oh man, Jesus, like they were kicking each other's heads off. Absolutely battering them with it. If you could if I could change one thing in terms of the um it wouldn't be a structural thing, it wouldn't be a card placement thing. I genuinely think still there is a, a small issue with match times. Um there's a couple that needed the length they got. There was a couple that went maybe three or four minutes too long, mm-hmm. and it all adds up. You know, we talk about match times sometimes and it's like, well, what really is three minutes? Well, it's a lot if you times it by ten. You know, it's half an hour. Um but I think that even that crime is far less egregious on this show than we've seen on other ones. Very little were very little felt like it was wearing out the fans in attendance. Mm. So it's one thing for us to feel like that on the other side of the screen, but if the crowd is staying hot for most of it, then you know I think the promotion would be credited. Some lovely spots in there as well, uh, alongside the finish. Uh like you say, the involvement of Red Dragon to distract Hangman Page. Uh the the Involvement of them in the match subsequently leading to Hangman Page hitting a dead eye through a table at ringside, which would have sucked for his knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, because he's better than Kenny Omega, uh, Adam Cole um, <laughs> not getting pinned by the bookshot area. Granted, it's because he put his hand on the bottom rope, but yeah. they all count. <laughs> uh, and then obviously, yeah, like you say, um, Hangman Page kicks him over and over again. Loads of receipts for getting kicked in the head earlier. Uh, lowers the boom, bookshot lariat, and one, two, three, Hangman Page retains the world title, as he should. There's a little bit of elite law just to tie in here because it wasn't really worth while mentioning otherwise on the buy-in. Don Callis made his return. It was a nice troll job. Uh, Tony Schiavone said, we've got a special guest, and then Kenny Omega's music plays, but then Don Callis comes out, you get the heat, all that kind of stuff. And um, he said words to the effect of, good luck, Adam Cole, we all think you're great, but when Kenny Omega returns, he's going to be taking the title. So I guess if you win, he's going to be taking it off you. If there was a, if Kenny Omega was here, he'd be in the main event. He'd be fighting for the title. He's going to win. So the implication was that Callis and Omega are still gravy and that Omega's going to come back and win the title. But I wonder if that's maybe a um, 
I was going to say red herring, more of a salmon herring to go along with uh, Callis's scarf. Yeah. Maybe that's a false flag been planted there because it sort of feels like Kenny Mago will be a baby face when he comes back based on that response. So having yeah. Callis speaking from now is maybe th- like, you know, speaking before he's really thinking. And I just thought that was quite nice because it'll probably all play into, you know, that delicious, sweet, sweet elite melodrama Oof. as and when the return occurs. Can't wait for that, yeah. And I can't wait for see, like I say, how they follow up this on AEW Dynamite this week. Uh, hell of a pay-per-view. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE, of course. Uh, why should they? You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. You can follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, we're getting uh, Sidgwick's thoughts on this. I'll talk to him about it on the Dynamite preview. Hell, I might even ask about it on the Raw preview <laughs> Today. Well, there's uh, no Cody to talk about anymore, so you might as well. You can read about Hamlet uh, and Murray's thoughts all about this, along with all the fallout from it. WhatCulture.com, of course. So make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including previews and reviews of Dynamite and Rampage. Although we're not going to bother with Rampage this week, there's no bloody point because the pay-per-views already happened. <laughs> so this has been the AEW Revolution. 2022, forgot what year it was for a split second there, uh, review. Let us know your thoughts, as I said, on social media. We're off to bed. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.